You are listening to Messy in the Middle, the show here to help you navigate the messy blend that is life and business today. I'm your host, Haley Johnson, and my guests and I are here to dish out all the hot takes, big wins, and seriously messy moments that come with being an entrepreneur. So grab another cup of coffee, you know you want to, and let's get into it. Okay, welcome back to Messy in the Middle. Joining me today, I have Kayla McLeod, but I believe you go by Kitty. Um, So yeah, Kayla, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and also me, I guess, because we barely just met, so. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. So my name is Kayla McLeod. Like you said, I go by Kitty. Um, Usually I'm wearing my cat ears as well, but I've had a really non-traditional Um, I graduated undergrad focusing my studies on biology and dance, or was able to do a fair amount of research with Vanderbilt University and the USDA uh, and Winmore, which is not far from where you're at. And then found myself along the way after doing some conference management and picking up pole dance, um, in addition to other dance, finding my way to Austin, Texas, where we like to keep it weird and, you know, have been able to focus the here on more so like curriculum development, working with children in movement, found myself in the healing space, um, especially focusing on somatics, and then landed in a place where I'm able to take all of the experiences that I've had and focus more so on bringing diversity, equity, and inclusion in an organizational setting. So it's uh, it's been a wild journey, but it's been a fun and a beautiful one. <laughs> I think that's so interesting that you studied dance and um, biology because one of my favorite professors in undergrad was a musical theater and biology major. And so I feel like there has to be something there about like the juxtaposition of like two grueling majors that are still like very opposite, but like fun. I guess they attract the same type of people, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you get to use both sides of your brain and it. I think it speaks to how the brain works and being able to understand and to categorize how we understand the world around us and how everything works and has relationships together. But I think also when you bring the arts into it, there's this element of storytelling and understanding the human experience that really grounds us in in humanity as well. So I really do think it's a beautiful combination. Yeah, definitely. So we met to kind of clue our listeners in at a Philly entrepreneurship meetup. So in addition to the work that you're doing in the DEI and um, in curriculum design space, you also have your own business, right? That is true. That is true. So do you want to start by talking a little bit about that journey and then we can get into some of the stuff that you do in your day job? Yes, absolutely. So I have my own company, Illumin Wellness. And at Illumin, I focus on helping folks to integrate and find safety and joy in their lives. So I've been able to kind of take that movement element uh, from dance and the circus arts. And um, I did my yoga teacher training when I moved here to Austin. So I found myself really just enmeshed in somatics and sound healing And I do coaching through the tarot as well as um, through embodiment in movements. So that's been really wonderful. And I love to share that in group and personal settings as well. 
Yeah. So what's the journey of that side hustle kind of been like? Like what kinds of clients do you work with? How are you like marketing and growing that side? Because that's definitely something that I think we have a lot of more like B2B guests on this show and people who like I understand what they do because I've probably hired them or worked with them before. But I think that this type of business is maybe a little bit newer to some of our listeners because I know it is to me. So what does that look like? What are the clients look like? What is that all? What's the vibe? Yeah, no. So I have been really fostering that side of myself and that side of myself professionally through mostly actually working with other businesses. Okay. Partnerships with studios here in the Austin area, Dansversity being one of them, Black Box Creative being another, and really focusing more on providing sessions of sound healing and allowing myself to have marketing through their audiences, um, finding myself connecting with their audiences in that way, doing programming uh, through Danceversity. But then with Black Box Creative, I've been sharing more of the uh, collaborative creativity workshops and really helping folks to embody themselves and see themselves as choreographers. And I feel that that really deeply translates into other areas of your life. When you feel like you're empowered to create art, you find other ways to empower yourself and take charge in other areas of your life as well. That's awesome. So would you say that it's kind of like your business connections through your DEI work and like your day job are kind of what's helping to drive the growth of the side business? Or do you feel like they're maybe more separate? I think that they're more separate. Um, Okay. I, it's very funny because throughout Uh, the latter half of my 20s where I realized that this and I use the word embodiment a lot but it's I feel like the persona of Kitty has really come about more so of me owning that creative side of myself Mm -hmm. and I find that sometimes and I'm really working now personally in meshing the two and mm-hmm. them into the same spaces. But I find that my DEI work and my work in somatics and healing through movement have a tendency to be a little more separate. Right. Okay. I guess something that I always struggle with when it comes to like the thought of having a side hustle, because obviously this is my full-time job and it kind of always has been, is like, once I start thinking about something, it's like the only thing I can think about. So I feel like if I had a full-time job my side hustle would have to be something similar to the full-time job or else I'd like never be able to concentrate. So I feel like in some ways then like you having this like alternate persona that you can embody on like the kitty side of things with being more creative could probably like help you make sure that you're still prioritizing both without losing your identity because you've still got like this whole other separate side of you. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like there's an element um, of healing that I've been doing within myself as well that really has been that fight between me living my fullest truth and also feeling um, the shame of some of the other elements that have really been important into my life. I've been very much so involved, like I said, in the pole arts, which has, has its own stigma Um, And, you know, God bless all of the strippers out there because this industry wouldn't be what it is without them. Um, But there is a stigma still attached to pole and sensual arts. But really, I've been playing with, okay, how do I make space for 
the others and in, mm-hmm. in some of like the other identities that I also keep with me in terms of queerness, blackness, being a woman, you know, and on the impact that that has and how people perceive me as well. Yeah. How do you feel or, you know, what is your approach, I guess, to like being open and having this, you know, embracing the pole arts and these other things that are maybe a little bit more taboo in the corporate world? What is your take on like balancing being open with that, but then also navigating like the you're supposed to be like prim and proper, what's a sensuality, like never, you know, share any of that about yourself, kind of stigma side of the corporate world. What do you like, do you worry about talking about stuff like that? Do you feel like your job is like very open? What's the kind of, I guess, intersection between the two? I love it when you put it, like, put it that way. It's intersectionality is something that we talk about so often because it informs everybody's experience. And I'm very fortunate to work with an incredible group of people who really want me to be my most authentic self. So I find that even at networking events, like I was at yesterday, we had um, the Texas Hispanic Chamber of Commerce Coalition here in Austin. We were at the Capitol, had a whole bunch of opportunities to speak to different state representatives. But I still feel like it's important for me to voice that, you know what, one day I would like to develop a unionized strip club because sex work is the oldest profession in the book. And (laughs) it is to me, it's super important for everyone to live loudly and live authentically. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that I prioritize in more of like corporate settings when I'm talking with clients is that I will state some of the things that make up me but I try not to in those spaces make it the focus because again this is on right sharing again through storytelling who I am to give a little more flavor to the diversity of all of the people that we are interacting with in a professional setting I feel like that's really where you start to lay the seeds that allows inclusion to really happen Yeah, definitely. I can imagine that. I, yeah, I think that there's so much black and white thinking when it comes to what is and is not okay to talk about and what questions are and are not okay to ask. And like, yeah, I can imagine, you know, being in a professional setting and talking about something like pole dancing or stripping and like not having it be this weird taboo thing. But we've just been told, at least I feel like I've been told like my whole life that you know, not even going as far as stripping, but like tattoos, cursing, Mm -hmm. your views on like bodily autonomy are all these things that you're supposed to keep private, but absolutely not. Like, no, we need to talk about these things because they exist whether or not we talk about them. And the only way that they can be, you know, protected and given the space that they need to blossom is if we're talking about it in those places that we're maybe not quote unquote supposed to. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I remember um, some years ago when the Supreme Supreme Court, Court had passed their decision on gay marriage. Um, not only do I remember going down to the Tennessee courthouse and just like celebrating and cheering people going in and out getting married, which was a wonderful experience, but I still very much so maintain that unless you talk about who you are authentically, it's so easy for those sides of ourselves to 
become invisible. Um, there's a concept of covering where um, even I have a 12 year old friend who's also the CEO of our company's daughter. And she said, I'm sharing a comment that was shared with me, but had asked her mother, you know, should I not publicize that I'm a Latina? And because she knows of the backlash that comes with that. And to, pardon my friend, I don't know if I'm allowed to- Oh my God, there's so much. This is explicit. We can say fuck, do it. (laughs) Beautiful. Okay. Yes. I'm going to go around my ass, get to my elbow a little bit, but um, in a number of spaces, I'm extremely straight passing. Most people, when they look at me, will not think that I'm a queer woman at all. But I think that leads to the importance of us living out loud and living our truth and really speaking to what is authentic to us. Because even in the context of that particular Supreme Court decision, a lot of people don't know how many queer people there are in their lives. You know, and we can turn around and say, okay, well, we know now because, you know, folks may present differently because of gender queerness or whatever have you now in the 21st century. But there's so many people who have been straight passing or have covered for years, and people don't know my neighbor is a gay woman. They don't know that, okay, well, this person I've been collaborating with on projects is a gay man. And how closely these different issues that we're not supposed to talk about taboo but affect lives and affect legislature (laughs) you know how closely they are to us even if we don't believe right definitely I think you know I experience that all the time like I identify as bisexual I am like soft launching the she they pronoun rollout like that kind of stuff but like I I look straight and I'm going to get a lot of privileges and benefits because I look straight. My partner is straight and male. And like, we look like just, you know, your normal straight white middle-class couple. And there's a lot of, you know, hidden privilege there that I never really have to address or like face the like potential consequences of not being straight because like if shit got really bad, I could just like sit here in my straight passing bubble and call it a day. So yeah, definitely it's important to be like loud and proud about those things because you never know like what could happen if it gets like taken away. Yeah. And I think I was talking with someone the other day and they were saying, you know, I don't want to be the representative for all queer people, but this person in particular was saying that they found themselves constantly in spaces where they were. Um, And I really feel that not only does it have an impact on folks whose minds we have the opportunities to change by knowing us personally, but it also provides a voice for those who may not be in the spaces to speak out. So um, I I thank you for being open about where you are in your journey as well. Well, thank you. I that's yeah, it's weird because I like talk about it on the podcast because I'm like, I don't know who listens to this podcast and I'm never gonna know unless they talk to me about it. So yeah. we're just gonna like this is my little like I'm yelling into an abyss and whatever comes out, like that's fine. Yeah. Those people are like the true, the true listeners. But you know, you never know. Yeah. Maybe not switching gears, but leaning a little bit more into some of the work that you do. 
um, in your day job, I try really hard to have as diverse of a guest lineup on the show as possible. And I've been trying to get someone to talk about DEI for a while. So I don't want to be like, this is what you have to talk about because that's what you do. But like, I would like to touch on it a little bit. So the work that you do for your day job, can you talk a little bit about the types of organizations that you work with and maybe like what some of the major things that you find yourself going over or teaching or talking about again and again might be? And then my plan is to kind of like bring this into some of these smaller organizations and freelancers in the online business space and like how we can apply some of those things. So that's where I'm going with this. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So right now, the majority of our clients that we work with are um, at the local, local level, local organizations um, based here in Travis County in Austin. Um, I recently relocated back. I I put two and two together. I figured (laughs) that one out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but most of our clients are working in government agencies at the moment. Uh, we have one product that we're really excited to launch called Save Space Plus. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but that's also been really fun to dole out um, in event spaces as well. But one of the things that we frequently talk about um, are one, we do a lot of trainings. So DEI 101, a lot of people don't really understand what diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, accessibility, what that looks like um, in an organizational setting. So we do a lot of education on what that looks like, why it's important. Um, We talk a lot and do a lot of trainings on power and privilege, how that impacts the spaces that we're in who's in the meetings that you're in, um, who's speaking and has access to the floor in those meetings, privilege in the the context of the organization and, and interactions of being able to say, okay, well, I'm a Black woman, but as a consultant, I'm frequently challenged um, on my expertise, whereas most other folks, maybe cishet white men are often not, they're just assumed that they know what they're talking about. Um, And then unconscious bias, I think is the one that I have the most fun with because bias comes in so many forms that we're again, not aware of. And we do a lot of um, uh, encouraging folks to take the um, IET. Harvard has um, an implicit bias test that is available. Anyone can take it. I, I can send you the link if you want to put it in the. Uh, I definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super insightful. Um, but we all have biases. And my mentor, CEO, one of my best friends, Venus Pinedo, she has this quote that I'm always frequently sharing. It's not our first thought that matters, but it's our second thought and our first action that matters. We all have biases. That's not the thing that's the most detrimental. It's what you do with it and the awareness that you have around it. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So going back quickly to what you were saying is essentially, were you saying that as a Black woman, you have more pushback about the DE&I work that you do than if you were a white man? 
Absolutely. Like I 100% believe you, mm-hmm. but that fact blows my mind. It's true. Like I would never want to ask a white man first to teach me about bias and like diversity and inclusion. <laughs> and maybe that's biased of me, but like that is so wild to me that that's something that you are experiencing as like a negative in your field when like that's what your field is about. I guess that's like a fun example to get to use in the moment though. Like, hey guys, well, just so you know. <laughs> I also, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm speaking in that context as just a consultant. Right. Being able to come into a space. But if you look at, uh, there's a lot of data and I can find exactly what I'm referencing and be sure that I send it to you as well. But there's also a discrepancy between who is presenting as DEI experts in the field. There's a significant amount of white women in the field. I'm glad they're doing the work. We need the help. But there's also a significant pay gap in Mm -hmm. who is receiving funds at what rates between Black women, Latino women, Asian women in the field and, and those white women as well. So just things to things to consider, <laughs> right. to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to consider and be aware of. I feel like that's a rabbit hole that you and I could probably go down and be here until next Thursday. Um, <laughs> but this is why we, we need don't... healing as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you work with a lot of smaller organizations, but maybe they're more in person, they're local to Texas. Do you find that they are inherently more or less diverse or do they like represent one community over another because of where they're physically located? Or do you find that there's like a variety, I guess, in the makeup and things like that of the organizations that you work with? I think it, I think that with the organizations that we're working with right now, their perception of their um, stakeholder population is that it is very diverse. And I think that that's something that's really exciting to see and that folks are looking, there's 27 dimensions of diversity that we could look at Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, far more than the usual race, gender, sexuality, um, even at this point in my life at 31, my mother is a therapist. I've been having conversations with her about even my own identity and understanding of my own neurotypical versus neurodivergent brain. Um, so many things to consider, but I think very much so geographically, there are limitations. Austin in and of itself, Austin city proper for the past eight years, I believe the number one declining population has been the black population. Mm. Um, although we've had exponential growth and influx. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So I think within the organizations, there is a sentiment that there is diversity amongst the different dimensions to kind of go on the other end. I feel like Austin is diverse depending on how you look at it, but there's always a lot of work to be done to continue to diversify. There's a lot of diversity of thought if you look at gender identity, sexuality, it's off the charts. There's everybody of every, every color of the queer rainbow is here from pink to blue to orange to green. We're here. Um, not that people are those colors, right? but if you, um, 
look in terms of socioeconomic status, it varies very much so from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. Um, I hope that's answering your question. <laughs> yeah, I am not as prepared for this interview as I maybe would have preferred to have been, but no, I'm you're doing great. Less, less rigid and less prepared lately. So you answered my question to whatever degree it was necessary to answer the question. So like, we're good. I'm just happy that we're able to have this conversation. Wanting to apply it a little bit, maybe more to some of the folks that are more likely to be listening to this podcast. It's a lot of business owners, aspiring business owners, people who are solopreneurs or have a team of maybe one to two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one day maybe the goal is like five or six. So when we're dealing with such smaller numbers of people, but we really want to be embracing diversity, not only in just skin color and, you know, the things that you can see, men, women, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But when we are wanting to embrace all 27 areas of diversity that we can be embracing, like how, like where do we start if we have the intention and really want to be doing the best that we can to be better than these, you know, big companies that are still choosing to be very one-dimensional, mm -hmm. but like I'm, I'm a white woman, like I can't be any more diverse than that in some regards. Like what's the next thing that I can do or that someone else could do? Is that a clear question? <laughs> Absolutely clear. Okay. Yeah, super clear. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, um, a lot of where we start with the work that we do in an organizational uh, context is with his execs. So as a solopreneur, as a small business owner, as someone who is aspiring and starting your own business, I would take some time to really reflect on how you can embed themes of DEI. And, you know, there's the whole range of alphabet from Jedi to idea to, you know, how can you embed some of these themes into your mission? Mm. I've been finding for myself, I originally had this very broad idea of finding safety and joy. Like that was where I started with Illumin. Mm -hmm. At this point, I feel like Illumin is taking the transition to making safety and joy accessible. Um, uh, a little bit about me as well as I was in graduate school for dance and movement therapy. So also having trauma-informed practices, not only in the context of movement and healing, but also applying that to the work that I do as a DEI and an innovation consultant is very important to me. So how can you embed little things, whether that's incorporating it into your mission statement? Is it creating a DEI statement that you also have on your website that's very clear that I'm here to service and to support everyone? Mm -hmm. I want to be sure that what I'm doing is accessible to everyone. It's a really great place to start. Um, also, another thing that we're launching at the Inclusion Plus Institute, of which I'm really grateful to be the president of, is we will be doling out a uh, product and services assessment. So I believe I'm going to go ahead and speak. This is, this is new first here, <laughs> but we're going to be making that a free assessment. So if 
that's something that you're interested in, look at the services that you provide, look at the products that you provide and make sure that they are also following those themes of DEI, that they're accessible to everyone. And also most of the assessments that we have and we make available to our clients are based on ISO, um, the International or- uh, Standards Organization. Uh, so mm-hmm. they have their own standards for diversity and inclusion as well. So we've based our assessments off of, off of that. So outside of doing the reflective work, seeing how you can bring DEI into your mission and embed it in every means of your company, and um, also double checking that the services and the products that you're providing are also accessible to different diverse communities. I would also say just reach out info at inclusionplus.com. I'm I'm here and I love having conversations and being able to support people because we're here to change the world one organization at a time, no matter big or small. That's our, our mission at the Inclusion Plus Institute. So, you know, mm-hmm. use the resources that are available to you. Yeah, that's amazing. I can't wait for that resource to come out for sure. Um, I don't think this episode is coming out until like June. So if that's available, then we'll definitely link it in the show notes. We'll also link, you know, all of your information in the show notes. And I really loved, I love that advice because it's so accessible. Like anyone of any company of any size can sit down and reflect and ask themselves, like if their mission, if their values, if their offerings are reflecting, you know, diversity and like an attempt to be more inclusive and anyone can make those small changes to make them be more accessible and more public facing so I love how that's like such an easy lift way to do more because I think a lot of times when we think of diversity equity (laughs) when we think of DEI I understand why I understand why it's a uh, an acronym now um I think it feels like this big scary thing that we need to do a hundred percent and that we need to get a hundred percent right or else it's like there's no point but it's really it sounds like every percent counts and every percent is like you're doing the work and you're trying to be better and that's what's important yeah I mean I think it comes back to the same sentiment that I said earlier of being able to be your most authentic self because you know you don't know who sees you don't know who Mm -hmm. much access to and I mean I know when I look at the world and I look at the state of the U.S. and you know the way children are treated and the way that you know black folks are treated in this country I mean I have two brothers so that's something that I'm always concerned about like out in the world living their lives Mm -hmm. are they going to come home and when you look at the justice piece there's certainly a lot to be done I think the and to that is that there's a lot to be done and we can all do our part And I think that's where the importance of changing cultures, I think that's the most fun part about the work that I get to do is that we're in culture change management. It takes open communication about Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do. It takes being incredibly intentional, intentional about where you want to go and, you know, checking yourself every step of the way. So uh, every little bit counts. (laughs) I love that. And that feels like an amazing way to close this little section of the conversation, but I do want to turn back a little bit to your own business and ask you about 
you know, like, what are your goals for it? What's the future for it? You're so passionate and good at the work that you're doing in your, you know, day-to-day job. What do you have as like the vision for the future for your own business? Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, I've been taking a step back um, from Illumin for the past last calendar year. And after really reflecting, I realized I get a lot of joy from not only helping other people, but from really helping other instructors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think where I'm seeing Illumin go is to be able to illuminate opportunities for other movement instructors to be able to support them as they grow. I'm working with Danceversity here in Austin, which is a wonderful, incredible dance space where they're, they're, I mean, it's in the name. They are so here for diversity and for inclusion and working as an instructor with them many years ago, every single class was structured with that in mind. So we're building curriculum right now on um, inclusive movement instruction. Um, And what's my hope is that Illumin can make a shift toward doing more B2B work, Mm -hmm. but where it serve as an opportunity for new yoga teachers to be able to come in and teach in a corporate setting, to practice teaching, to get feedback on their teaching, but also to get paid a great wage. I mean, I did it for years. I've been an instructor since I was 16 years old and making $20 an hour for a class when you're 16 is great. Making $20 an hour for a class when you're 30 is not so great. So just that's my goal is to be able to empower new teachers to let them know that, you know, you can do this, do this well and continue to grow with your peers. I love that so much. We're going to have all of your links and everything in the show notes, but is there any particular call to action or link that you would like people to go to that you want to share now? It's just as like a little takeaway at the end of the episode. Yes, actually. Um, what I would like to share, I'm going to highlight, because I said I was going to talk about it later. At the Inclusion Plus Institute, we just launched an incredible product, Safe Space Plus, where through it, we're able to help cultivate and maintain safe and inclusive spaces, uh, whether that's for events, for venues, for organizations. In my heart of hearts, my love is to be able to see um, inclusion and equity in the arts have a crossover. So it's my hope that every nonprofit in Austin and every movement space in Austin becomes a safe space. Um, We also have with Safe Space Plus uh, a code of conduct that's open and available to help give a good sense of what, oh, I'm so sorry. There's a little dragonfly that just came to say hi at the window. I love that. I know that's got to be a good omen. Um, (laughs) But it's my hopes that to be able to make every one of those spaces that we come into a safe space. um, And it also has a reporting mechanism that's also attached to it. Uh, It's fully anonymous and allows folks to be able to speak up if something that makes them uncomfortable happens. So I would say just check out the inclusionplusinstitute.com. 
all of our offerings are on there. And yeah, so reach out if you need anything that goes for small business owners, everyone who's in the early stages of creating their businesses and everyone who's looking to expand because there's always work to be done. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon and chatting all about the work that you do. And thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of Messy in the Middle. Bye. Bye.